ഔറുദുബില്ലാഹിമിനുഷേതോനുറജീം ബിസ്മില്ലാഹിറഹ്മാനുറഹീം റബ്ബിഷ്റഹ്ലി സദ്രി വയുസലി അമ്രി വഹ്ലുൽഅബ്ബത്തമ്മിലിസാനി യഫ്കഹു കൗലി അസ്സാമു അലൈക്കും വരഹമത്തുല്ലാഹി വബ്രകാത്തു വെൽക്കം ടു ജേണി ത്രൂ ദ ഖുറാൻ ബൈ ഇക്നാ സിസ്റ്റേഴ്സ് ടുഡേ ഔ ബി കവറിങ് ത്രീ സുരസ് സുര യാസീൻ സുര സഫാത്ത് ആൻഡ് സുര സാദ് ഔ സ്റ്റാർ ഓഫ് ബൈ സുര യാസീൻ and in surah yasin um the object is to actually warn the disbelievers at the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and to warn the quraish of the fact that they should resist from opposing to the message that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is giving them and they should stop their ridicule ridiculing the prophet and mocking him the way that they are Allah does three arguments in Surah Yasin. He does an argument based on Tawheed, where he says that from the signs of the universe and also through common sense, you can see that there's, there's a presence of one Allah or Tawheed. Another argument he puts forth is the argument for the hereafter. Again, he mentions that the signs of the universe and man's own common self, sense, is proof of the existence that there's going to be a hereafter. The third argument is the argument of prophethood. Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam facing all these hardships and what he went through is clear indication of the fact that his message was sincere and that he had no selfish motive behind it. So based on these three arguments, the argument of tawhid, hereafter and prophethood Allah is presenting his message in a very forceful manner. And the aim behind this is so that a person whose heart is inert or is still can be shaken up. A person whose heart whose heart has any grain of capacity for being awakened can be awakened. Surah Yasin is also known as the throbbing heart of the Quran because it presents its message in a forceful manner and it presents its message in a way that a heart that needs to be awoken or needs to be you know ignited will actually become alert and start throbbing again. Another thing about Surah Yasin is that it says to recite it to the dying people amongst you. and the object behind that is because to remind the person who's dying of his islamic creed it's a reminder it refreshes the creed of islam in our hearts and also surah yasin depicts a very clear picture of the hereafter and the stages that one passes through after crossing the worldly life so surah yasin is recited in arabic but if someone doesn't understand the arabic language it's also encouraged to read the meaning of surah yasin to that dying person also surah yasin starts off with beautiful words it starts off by telling us by the wise quran basically the quran has so much wisdom inside of it that every word that allah presents to us that he's revealed to us gives us lessons for life it's such an amazing book that Many people experience the fact that when they're reading the Quran and then they go back to the Quran again and let's say they read the whole Quran within a span of a few years and then they go back to the Quran again at some other point in their life 
They say, they claim to the fact as many times as they read the Quran, it's as if they're reading it for the first time. Quran is literally like a, a moving book with life and feeling because it, it connects to the situation in the life that you're in. So as we go through different stages in our life, we experience different events, we mature or grow in a different fashion, and we perceive things in a different way. So when we go back to the Quran with our new maturity or a new perception, we see the Quran in a different light and we have more understanding of Allah or of the world or of our purpose of life in this world. So this Quran is truly such an amazing book that it's the only book that we encounter in which we have that kind of feeling because it's a direct revelation from Allah. It's Allah talking to us directly. Then it goes on over here and it says, you are truly among the messengers. Again, what I said in the introduction, this is proof of prophethood on a straight way. So that he was a messenger on a straight way. And this is a, and this Quran is a revelation from the most mighty, the most compassionate. So while Allah is the strongest and he has the most power and the most control and there's no being mightier or stronger than him, at the same time, he has, with all that strength in his hand, has the most compassion. His love for every single human being is beyond even a mother's love for her child. Then Allah goes on in verse 7 and 8 of Surah Yasin, and he's mentioning how, with this huge blessing that we have of the Quran, how we as people tend to treat the Quran. Surely most of them merit the decree of chastisement, say they, so they do not believe. We have put fetters around their necks which reach up to their chins so that they are standing with their heads upright. So Allah is telling us in verse number 7 that we are ones who deserve chastisement or punishment because most of us do not follow or don't believe in the Quran. And he describes such people as if He's put fetters on their necks and their chins are shoved up out of arrogance because of the stubbornness of not wanting to obey Allah's command, the stubbornness of not wanting to read the Quran and the stubbornness of not allowing it affect our hearts. This is a sign of severe arrogance and pride and this is a very dangerous condition in which when reading the Quran, it still does not affect or soften our hearts. It says here in verse 9 through 11, further describing such people. And we have put a barrier before them and a barrier behind them and have covered them up so they are unable to see. It is all the same for them, whether you, are, you warn them or do not warn them, for they shall not believe. You can warn only him who follows the admonition and fears the merciful Lord without seeing him. Give such a good one good tidings of forgiveness and a generous reward. So pretty much these same people who are so stubborn have so much stubbornness, pride, biases, misconceptions and misperceptions ingrained in their whole being that they will not learn from any lessons of history that Allah presents to them. They will not learn from any glaring realities of things that are occurring around them. They will, per, they will prefer to remain on the wrong path. They will prefer to remain with their biases and their misconceptions. In the next few verses, Allah, 
Allah gives us more description or characteristics of such people who are on the wrong path. And then he goes on and he starts giving some vivid description of what will happen at the time of their death or after their death. And then what will happen on the day of judgment and what state of affairs such people will be in. So when the characteristic that they more characteristics that they have in them is that when it is said to them to guard yourselves for what is about to happen, or it is said to them to spend in the way of Allah, give charity in the way of Allah, they say, shall we feed him whom Allah would have fed had he so wished? Yani, they're so blinded in their ways that they say that why should we feed these people? Allah has control everything over everything. He has might. He's the one that should be feeding them. They're not realizing their real purpose in life. They're not realizing that their purpose in life is to obey, submit, and worship Allah. They're not realizing that this life is literally a test. By fulfilling the commands of Allah, we are passing the test for our own selves. True, it is not difficult for Allah to feed people, to clothe people, and to give them all the benefits. But at the same time, He's testing us. They're so adamant in their ways that they will say that when will this threat of resurrection come to pass? Tell us if indeed you are truthful. Yani, they are so rebellious that they're willing to challenge the day of resurrection. They're willing to have it come sooner. Then Allah gives a warning and he says, Then the trumpet shall be blown and lo, they will come out of their graves and be on their move towards their Lord. They don't realize that that day will come when they will step out of their graves and they will have no control over anything. And they'll be walking towards the ground of, 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 of Hasha, the ground of the day of judgment, to face their judgment in front of Allah. Allah says, today we shall put a seal on their mouths and their hands will speak to us and their feet shall bear witness to what they had been doing. If we so willed, we would have put out their eyes. Then they would rush to see the way. And how would they be able to see? If we so willed, we would have transferred them where they were so that they would not go forward or backward. Allah has control over everything. On the day of judgment, these very hands, these very feet, these very eyes, these very ears that we have so much control over, on that day we will have no control. And Allah even shows us in this world, in verse 68, He says, Whomsoever we grant a long life, we reverse him in his constitution. Do they still not understand? So Allah is telling us, we are born weak, and at the end stages of our life, we become weak again. How often have you seen when a newborn baby is born, he can't even hold his own neck? He's, he's, he's so fragile. But then when the last stages of a person's life comes and they start hitting their 70s and 80s and 90s, they become the same way. They become so fragile. They can't be left alone. They need constant taking care of, right? Many times they need help getting out of bed, going in bed, going to the bathroom. You know, old people in their wheelchairs needing someone to be with them. Their state gets so weak and fragile. So we forget how vulnerable we are, how weak we are as human beings. Allah reminds us in this surah where he says today no one shall suffer the least injustice. 
The concept of justice in Islam is very strong, as we all know, right? Our purpose of our life in this world is to make sure that we can implement as much, ju as much justice around us, right? Our sights and our thoughts and our eyes should be outside and we should be paying attention to the injustices that's occurring in this world before Allah seeks justice from us in the hereafter. Because any injustice that as an individual or as a community that we have created in this world, even the fact that we remained as individuals silent in front of injustices, Allah will seek justice from all the injustices that occurred in this world. On the day of judgment, He will seek justice from every individual. May Allah protect us from that. And may Allah make us amongst those who are not held accountable for any form of injustice in this world. May He make us capable of fulfilling the commands of Allah and seeking justice in this world. I wanted to end this surah or conclude this surah with some hope that those who are following the will of Allah, who are seeking justice in this world, who are on the straight path, actually have good news mentioned in this surah. It says, indeed, the people of paradise will be busy enjoying themselves. Then their spouses shall be reclining on their couches in shady groves. Therein there will be all kinds of fruits to eat, and they shall have all that they desire. Peace shall be the word conveyed to them from their merciful Lord. So peace is the ultimate reward that one can receive. If there's peace within us and peace beyond us, then that's the biggest reward. Because it's the lack of peace, it's the injustices, it's the evils that we see, the restlessness that occurs in our hearts when we see that. That is a form of a test that's very difficult on the believer. So when they meet their Lord and they're given their final abode of Jannah, they'll be given constant peace. There'll be no stresses or no fears of anything, inshallah. The next surah is Surah As-Safat. And in this surah, the disbelievers in Mecca, in response to these three forms of logic, which was Tawheed, Hereafter, and Prophethood, they were still not acknowledging Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and they were making fun and mocking what he was, the message he was trying to give. There's also mention of many prophets in this surah. Prophet Nuh, Ibrahim, Musa, Ilyas, Lut, and Yunus. But the main mention is Prophet Ibrahim, which I'll be going a little bit more in detail with. Because over here there's detail of how Prophet Ibrahim was a great thinker. And he questioned the very society and culture around him. And another huge um, aspect of his life is the fact that he was willing to sacrifice his, his son for the sake of Allah. The Prophet Ibrahim's story is very unique. And from verse 83 onwards, <clears throat> it describes how he was so pure in heart. And he lived a life totally based on his fitrah. And he went to his father and his people and he would ask them, who do you worship? Is it false deities that you want to serve rather than Allah? Yani he was, he was inquisitive. He was asking all these questions as to what's going on. What do you think of the Lord of the whole universe? 
Then he would look at the stars and he would wonder, you know, is this his Lord? And then, um, and he would go to the temple where the idols or the deities were. And he says, what is the matter with you? Why do you not eat? What is the matter with you? Why do you not speak? So where the whole community he was living in, no one had questions like this. But he went against the grain and he would question. He turned upon those idols and deities and he struck them. And when the people came running, he said to the people, giving them common sense and trying to create instill some logic in their mind, do you worship what you yourselves have carved with your own hands while it is Allah who has created you and all that you make? So he's questioning the culture of the society at that time, which is something huge and very difficult to do. He was not a follower. He had, in, he had inquisitive thinking. He was one who would sit back and ponder over what's going on around him. And this is something really important because for the most part, when us as human beings are living within a society, we tend to blindly follow the ways of that society, the way they dress, the way they talk, the shows they watch, the culture that's ingrained in everyone's minds, the discussions that everyone has, the preferences or the lifestyle that people have. For example, within America, the culture is to strive really hard to earn material gains, to have a beautiful house, to have a beautiful car, to have highly educated kids and a highly educated family. And these are not goals that I would say are wrong, but these are goals that shouldn't be our everything in our life. We have to have bigger goals in our life because reality for us is the hereafter. We need to think about the path that we're following. We need to sit back and we need to make ourselves aware of the fact that am I fulfilling my priorities in life? Is my end goal the best goal to have considering the fact that one day I'm not I'm going to die and I'm not living on this earth forever? So these are things as human beings we need to concentrate on. Another example is many uh, people of different nationalities have very strong cultural preferences. So the way they practice those different aspects of their um, community, such as marriage or death or any kind of celebration is done within the confines of their tradition or within their culture based on the country that they came from. And they will do it blindly, not thinking about it. Many times we don't realize that that blind following is actually harming us. And a lot of the things that we're doing based on culture is something that's not right. So we should be those people who ponder over the society and what's going on around us. And we should try to go against the grain if it's for the sake of Islam. We should not compromise our behavior or our rituals based on culture. We should never compromise our religion. And Prophet Ibrahim set up an ex amazing example. As we know, he was totally, totally alone and he had no one on his side. Another great example of Prophet Ibrahim's life that sets up as an example for us to follow is the great sacrifice that he was willing to make in which he saw a dream in which Allah commanded him to sacrifice his son Ismail. And he had actually 
set up his son and was willing, ready to sacrifice him, when Allah suddenly called out to him and said, O Ibrahim, you have indeed fulfilled your dream. Thus do we reward the good doers. This was indeed a plain trial and we ransomed him with a mighty sacrifice and we preserved for him a good name among posterity. So what Allah did was in place of his son, he put a ram so that Ibrahim would not end up sacrificing his son. This was a huge sacrifice that Prophet Ibrahim made for the sake of Allah. And he set up an example for us where many times we have passions in our life or we have something that we're very much connected to or very close to. So Allah is telling us that as Muslims, we have to be willing to make those sacrifices in our life, whether they be big or whether they be small. If someone loves living in a certain area that they're living in, but they need to move for the sake of Islam because they're not able to practice their religion in a proper fashion, though they have connections and family and whatnot in that area, Allah does want us to make those sacrifices. So inshallah, this has set up an example for us that we must follow. The next surah, Surah Saad, and in the background of the revelation of this surah, the Quraysh out of desperation um, were trying many ways to stop the Prophet ﷺ from presenting the message of Islam. They approached Abu Talib and they had told him that, can you go to the, your nephew and tell him that not to condemn our gods and force us to give, it, give up our gods and we will not bother him in his ways. Obviously, the Prophet ﷺ was not going to do that. Also, around the revelation of the surah, Umar ibn Khattab had accepted Islam. So a lot of strong people were converting towards Islam, and that was also being, that was quite concerning for the Quraysh and the disbelievers at that time. Also in this surah is mention of other prophets, but the, there's significant mention of Prophet Dawood and Suleiman. And they are presented with the theme of humility or being humble and not being arrogant. So I'll be touching some of that in the surah. And then I will end with the story of Adam and Iblis and again where he behaves in an opposite fashion from being humble and he shows arrogance. So there's a general theme also in this surah of being humble or humility. So there's mention in the surah of Prophet Dawood and Prophet Suleiman and how both of them were endowed with kingdoms and many riches. They were also kings along with being prophets. Prophet Dawood had a voice that could sway the creations and he had control over many riches in, in his kingdom. Prophet Suleiman had control over the jinns and he was able to make them work under his command to build huge monuments and statues. So, and it also mentions in this particular surah that when Prophet Dawood had committed a slight mistake in judging between two people and their ewes, and he was reminded of the mistake he made, how he fell down bowing and penitently turning to Allah. It also mentions a minor test that occurred with Prophet Suleiman, and then when he realized that he was being tested, he also turned to Allah in humility, you know, and he also asked Allah to forgive him. And he had told Allah that you are the one that has given me this kingdom. He was 
reminded of his smallness in front of Allah. So these leaders give us examples of what leaders of today should be like. The leaders of today, what is what are qualities are looked for in order to make a leader of today? If you pay attention to the leaders of today, the reason why they're given the positions that they're given is because of their wealth, their status, their money, their material gain, the control they have over many riches or the control they may have over oil or land. And it doesn't matter what kind of character they have. It doesn't matter how arrogant they have. They are. It doesn't matter what behavior they put forth on the people that are under them. Nothing matters. What matters is the fact that they have many riches and they have fame and they, you know, they're very powerful. And because of that, we have leaders who are creating much corruption in the land and their goal is to overpower and take over more land and more riches as possible. They do not care for the well-being of the humans that are under their command. They really do not care to serve the individuals. Where our leaders of the past set up great examples. The example of Prophet Dawood and Prophet Suleiman is absolutely amazing because along with prophethood, not only were they given prophethood, they were given kingdoms to control. But they were very humble. They were very penitent. They were constantly fearing that they may be making some mistakes. And if they found themselves to make a mistake, they would bow down in front of Allah and beg for forgiveness. They cared for their subjects. They cared for the people under their command. So there's a huge and stark contrast between the leaders that we experience today and the leaders that Allah mentions in the Quran. And also, at, if you read the Sirah, you study the Sirah, you'll see many great examples of the leadership of Prophet Muhammad and the companions and how they were elbow deep in working with the Muslims. How even at the Battle of the Trench, where the Prophet ﷺ was digging with the Muslims and getting as dirty as the Muslims. And he was such a humble human being in every aspect. So one must study the leadership qualities that within Sirah or within the Prophets that are mentioned in the Quran in order to have a proper understanding of what leaders should be like because in reality we're all leaders and we're all given that position so we must be very aware of the qualities that should be ingrained within a leader Allah goes on and he brings up an important point in verse 27 and 28 he reminds us that he did not he says we did not create this heaven and earth and all that lies between them in vain and then he goes on in verse 28 and he brings forth a very important concept that we should think about he says here, shall we then treat alike those that believe and act righteously and those that create mischief on earth or treat alike the God-fearing and the wicked? Over here, Allah is removing a very strong concept that we see in this society, which is the concept of no matter what you do, you're forgiven. The concept of salvation, which is very well known in this community and it's ingrained in the people to the point that even us Muslims tend to be very relaxed about our behavior. We're under this impression, no matter what we will do, we are the pure ones. We are Muslims. We're following the command of Allah, so nothing will affect us. But Allah is warning us here 
that though that he will not treat those who believe and act righteously the same way as the ones who create mischief on earth. Allah concludes this surah in the last few verses mentioning us the story of Adam and Iblis where Allah had commanded all the creations to bow down to Adam after he created him. And Iblis re refused, he waxed and he refused. And he said, how can I bow down to something that is less than me? I am created from fire and he's only created from clay. And this was the destruction of Iblis. Allah has given us respite to continue to do a little bit whispering in the hearts of everyone in this world. But at the end, Iblis is doomed. So arrogance is the opposite of humility. And any form of arrogance will lead us to our destruction. So we must keep in mind that the worst sin committed could be the sin that's based on arrogance. And may Allah protect us from that. And with that, I will conclude this surah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik.